wonder-working stars in the precious... Incredible as they seem, are not the results of mass hysteria. <laughs> You may wish to adjust the dial. You are currently tuned into the wrong station. Time, I thought it was too easy. After two years of searching, the coordinates we unearthed on Polyxena 7 had led us straight here, to a corner of the sector millions of astronomical units from the nearest star. It floated against the void, a black sphere against the blackness. It's definitely artificial. <laughs> You'd know. The drone's lights deepened to an angry red. Bigot. I ignored them, leaning back in my chair with a tablet. Reams of data poured in from the sensors. A lifetime's worth of reading, in only a few seconds. I scrolled through, hoping for a signal in the noise. There. The signature. Tensis, are you seeing this? Moscovium. About ten kilograms of it. What? I tossed aside the tablet and leaned close to the view screen. It looked so plain. I'd expected more. It's an element, Kim. Rare? Non-existent. There have been about a hundred atoms of Muscovium in human history. All of them were created in particle accelerators and decayed in less than a second. But there's ten kilograms of the stuff in that rock down there. And there has been for at least a hundred million years. Fuck. Not how I'd put it, but yes, it's the same trace element we found at the ruins. Does that mean this is it? We've finally found it? Tensis's lights turned green. Affirmative. Hot damn! We're gonna be fucking rich! He leaned over the comms. This is Kim. His voice echoed through the halls of the research vessel, Ull. And guess what, everybody? Three years later, I'm proud to announce, Bitches, we have arrived! Cheers rose from the lower decks. Laughing, Kim pressed play on his 2000s playlist. Ignition Remix blasted through the PA system. Offensive. But I barely heard it. The closer I leaned to the image on the screen, the more the sound went dead in my ears. You're sure it's safe? We were in a shuttle, streaking toward the object's surface. After the initial exuberance on the Ull, an anxious silence had fallen on the crew. Yes. No sign of radiation, no sign of life, no traps, just one large maze on the surface of the orb. Beside the drone, Mulligan, our paramedic, closed her eyes and leaned back. Is the thought of a maze triggering your claustrophobia, Mulligan? Tensis tilted its ceramic head. She didn't acknowledge it, other than to give it the middle finger. Clark, one of the engineers, laughed. Don't worry, I think you'll find the maze's architecture is quite monumental. You sound like you admire it. I do. The object is clearly the work of much finer minds than your species can produce. I doubt the civilization which built it would have been so unimaginative as to put constraints on my intelligence. 
Sorry, guess you're stuck being a dum-dum. Tensis's lights cycled orange with laughter. It's an objective fact that I'm 22% smarter than you, Kim. Kim pulled his sidearm and leveled it at the drone's head. Who's dumb now, MacBook? Kim, holster that gun before you put us all in hard vacuum. Kim lowered the weapon. A murmur of laughter filled the back of the shuttle. Keep laughing. I don't need a sidearm to kick all of your asses. I can't believe you called me a MacBook. You know what a book is? Can it? We're about to put down. The object's radius was several kilometers. Its surface writhed with walls of oily metal, a millimeter thick, but a hundred meters high. There was only one space on the surface large enough for the shuttle to put down, a circular clearing at the northern pole of its weak magnetic field. The shuttle set itself down, silent, in the object's thin atmosphere. The engines cooled. The crew made no sound, waiting for something to happen. Nothing did. Well, let's get to it. In the starless dark, only the shuttle's blue spears of halogen light lit the surface before us. The team filed out of the shuttle, with Kim leading the way, rifle at his shoulder. What is it that you're worried about, Kim? There's no life on this orb except for us. Don't include yourself in us. He didn't lower the rifle. We were ringed on all sides by those incredible walls. Ahead of us, a pair of tall, etiolated statues flanked the only entrance into the maze. They looked like coiling pillars of human arms, except that the hands were seven-fingered, and the fingers branched themselves into seven smaller digits, which themselves branched into seven needle-like points. Metal eyes of various sizes and shapes stared from among the spiraling limbs. Ugh, gross. I am unable to feel human disgust, but even I have to admit, I am unsettled. I stepped forward, between the pillars, and a sudden green glow made me jump back and throw a hand across my face. Captain, what is it? I lowered my hand. Between my feet, seven lurid green characters had sprung into existence. It says welcome. In English? Troubling. It reads in binary for me. The letters swam, spilling into different words, which I read as they appeared. You have arrived at the object. It was built by a civilization called the Greatest and Best. Kim snorted. <laughs> they never met us. Rest assured, this name is not egotistical. We have seen the past. We have seen the future. We have seen your civilization. Nobody has, or ever will, come close to equaling us. Kim's mouth hung open. Tensus's lights cycled orange with laughter. The crowning achievement of the greatest and best was universal discovery. Our voyagers found the outermost edge of the universe. Do you understand? The absolute end of everything. We found the answers we were looking for, and the answers you are looking for. We built this monument afterward. Come and see. Those last three words seemed to draw my eyes down. I tore my gaze away. I don't like this. I think we should turn back. Back? All respect, Captain, but I didn't come this far to leave my payday on the other side of some overblown heritage plaque. I'm afraid I have to agree with Mr. Kim. According to sections 5, 11, 17, and 32.5 of the research vessel Ull's contract with Sistec Incorporated, we have a clear mandate to explore the object with clear and severe consequences for our failure to do so. Frankly, Captain, you would need to receive your payout in order to afford the legal assistance necessary to get out of the contract. 
I looked around at the rest of the crew. You all agree? The pale illumination of their helmets made them all look sallow as the dead. One by one, they nodded, murmuring their assent. All right, let's go. I had the feeling of some cosmic writ having been dropped. I turned back to the entrance and God help me, I led them all into the maze. On the other side of the pillars, a dull amber sky shone beyond the looming walls. Captain, I am detecting breathable atmosphere. That's impossible. It is also impossible that the sky should be this bright, so far from any star, and yet. A crack and a hiss sounded behind me. I whirled and cried out as Mulligan removed her helmet, but when she sighed with relief, the pitch of her voice was earth normal and she didn't choke or whiten from the atmosphere. Nobody else take off your helmets. But then my own helmet was gone, and my exosuit was crumbling into the breeze like ancient paper. Our only protection against this environment flurried around us like a snowstorm, and we were left in our jumpsuits. Back to the ship, now! But when I turned, the pillars and the doorway were gone. Only a blank, oily wall greeted me, towering endlessly overhead. Tensis, radio the all and have them come get us out of here. I'm sorry, Captain. Something strange seems to have occurred. I almost vomited when I saw what had happened to the drone. Although its form was the same, every metal and ceramic part of its body had undergone a sickening transformation. Now, Tensis was made entirely of flesh and bone. Most of my functions are offline. I cannot reach the Ol. Disturbingly, I seem to have new functionalities. For instance, now I seem to be able to... breathe. It took a deep breath in through the heat vents on the back of its torso. The air that came out was warm and moist. A green light erupted at my feet. Come and see, said the letters. The phrase repeated over and over again in an endless series down the path. Come and see, come and see, come and see. Fuck that. Sadly, it would seem we have little choice but to comply. Dread and remorse rose over me. Rats in a maze, I took a breath, I pretended to be fine. Tensis is right, we can't go back, we have to come out the other side. Captain, what if there is no other side? All mazes have an entrance and an exit, dummy. Labyrinths do not. In labyrinths, there is only a center. If there's a center, then there's something worth finding there. And we're going to find it. But- That's enough, Tensis. The former drone looked at its hands, whose rubber and plastic had transmuted into cartilage and skin. Captain. I feel a strange sensation. I feel as though something has gone into overdrive in my chest, and I am unable to mitigate its effects. Captain, there is nothing in my instructions about this sensation, and I do not know what it is. We all looked at each other. I would have expected Kim to laugh, but his eyes had gone hollow. I do, Tensis. It's called fear. Ah, that is concerning. A moment of silence reigned. Kim cleared his throat. We should get moving. We're burning daylight. I trailed my fingers along the walls as we went. Although they looked flat, I felt little bumps and whorls, and when I leaned in closer, I found what looked like branching veins through the metal. I spread my hands out and found that they were everywhere, winding through the dark alloy like vines. When I found what looked like a thicker vein and rested the pads of my fingers against it, I started and staggered back. I thought I had felt a pulse. Captain. Kim was standing behind me. I brushed my hair out of my eyes, thinking I had been caught acting strangely. 
But Kim was looking over his shoulder. Have you seen Clark? I looked around, but the engineer was nowhere to be seen. Clark? Clark! We retraced our steps for 20 minutes and found nothing. We stopped to catch our breaths. It had become stiflingly hot in the maze, and the sky above had turned to a star-studded velvet summer black. When's the last time anybody saw him? No one can remember. Just then, Mulligan shrieked and pointed behind us. We turned. From what had once been his high beams, but were now a boxy, iridescent organ, Tensis emitted a beam of biophosphorescence. A pair of eyes stared at us from the darkness. My jaw dropped. They were human eyes. Disembodied human eyes floating at head height. They twitched and rolled, pupils dilating and contracting. I took a step forward. They were connected to a red mesh of blood vessels and optic nerve, which led back into the darkness. As a group, we stepped forward and found the hovering frontal lobe of a brain, and a few feet behind it, the insular lobe, the temporo-occipital, the cerebellum, and brainstem, all floating several feet apart and connected by a writhing skein of pulsing crimson fibers. We followed Clark's distended body like this for 50 meters before we came to his still-pulsing heart. Jesus, he's still alive. This was the point where my nausea got the better of me, and I finally threw up. Kim put a single bullet through the aorta, but it continued to pump. He shot it another four times, and it was only when it had been reduced to a bloody, hanging tatter of hamburger that it ceased to beat. What could have done this? Calculating. Inconclusive result. Captain, what if this happens to me? Get a hold of yourself, Tensis. Acknowledged. It was another 50 meters before we found his skeleton, posed mid-stride like a statue, and his skin lying in a pool at his feet like a cast-off robe. Mulligan started to cry. Souza, one of Kim's security team, began to babble under his breath, and Kim slapped him into silence. We walked back to the eyes, which had thankfully rolled up and stopped twitching. Green letters appeared underneath them, stretching onward. Come and see... We continued on. There was nothing else we could do. As it walked beside me, I noticed that Tensis's cartilaginous fingers had developed a slight tremor. In my own way, I envied the machine its newly discovered fear. Since arriving in the maze, I had felt none. It seemed like there was no point in being afraid, because whatever was going to happen had, in its own way, already happened. Our existence in this maze seemed fated, like we were moving on tracks. I shook my head, trying to get clear of these thoughts. The maze stretched on ahead. I realized I had no idea how long we had been in there. We passed another set of pillars like the ones by the entrance, and the sky above turned to a mint cyan color. It became cold. The sweat chilled on our skin. It occurs to me, Captain, that this is not where we landed. You think we've left the object? No. I think the object we landed on is only part of a larger object, a vaster hole extended through space in different places. You think there are multiple orbs like the one we landed on and that somehow we're jumping between them? Yes. But we've only found one. In a century and a half of space exploration, how many could there be? If the Green Letters told the truth about how much of the universe their parent civilization had explored... Trillions. Thousands of trillions. More. Who knows? The green letters led us on. 
I'm not sure for how long. Our bodies now seem to have no need for water, food, elimination, or sleep. Mulligan began to wonder out loud if we were already dead. She soon proved herself wrong. She was the next to go. We had stopped for another rest. I had my palms against the wall, feeling the pulse. There was something else, too, an ebb and flow of the air in time with the pulse. I began to feel that the object was breathing. Captain! I looked up. Mulligan was on her feet, walking backwards with wide eyes. The floor beneath her feet had begun to writhe with geometric shapes. She screamed for help and turned to run, but the walls reached out around her, forming bars that blocked her off from help on one side and escape on the other. She whimpered as the bars spread themselves into the mesh of a cage, and though its filaments were thin, we found them unbreakable when we kicked them or struck them with rifle butts. Then, as Mulligan howled in terror, the cage began to shrink. We looked on, helpless, as it forced her first into a crouch and then closed in on her until it was flush with her body and then began to press into her skin. The pressure eased for a moment. She looked at us with terrified eyes, and then the cage crushed in and she burst. A moment later, all the filaments had been reabsorbed into the floor. All that was left of Mulligan was a red mess. Through the blood, green letters shone. Come and see. Souza began to scream about how this was all my fault. He pulled his gun and shot at me, but his hand was shaking badly enough that he missed. Kim put a bullet in his head. The shots echoed for a long time down the tunnels. Souza collapsed. Lucky bastard. We continued on for another... how long? It could have been a day, a week, or 10,000 years. It could have been five minutes. Above, the ribbon of sky beyond those endless walls changed from starry black to whirling red to crystalline and a hundred other hues. I find it hard to remember what I thought about. My memories from Earth all seemed so distant. If anybody had been waiting for me there, I never would have left. My time on the Ull seemed even emptier. Space travel is dreary, and the whole crew was in it for the money. We formed few close ties. Mostly, I ruminated on the deaths of Clark and Mulligan and Souza. They had been my responsibility, and they had died. Pointlessly cruel deaths. Each of their stories a grim little fable with no hero and no moral. Eventually, we arrived at a section of the maze, again lit by an amber sky. By now, Kim, Tensis, and I were the only ones remaining. Schmidt, the xenobiologist, had disappeared, and we had decided against going back to search for him. Kim had said it was a waste of resources. What resources? We were immortal, until the maze decided to kill us. Tensis had been afraid. I... I lied and said I was afraid as well. The truth was I couldn't have cared either way. It was shortly after this conversation that Kim stopped abruptly. What's the matter? Have you changed your mind? No, Captain. Please, take my weapon. You're going to have to go on without me. What do you mean? He shifted on his feet and winced. I've walked into something. For a moment, I didn't understand what he meant. Then when I stepped forward, I saw it. A thin wire, thin as spider silk but completely rigid, 
rising from the floor at a 45-degree angle. Kim had walked onto its other end, which had pierced through his chest without resistance. A single bead of blood oozed from his sternum to the floor. I nudged the filament with the stock of my rifle, but it didn't budge and sheared clean through the carbon composite. Okay, we can't snap it, but it's not wide enough to kill you. If, if you walk backwards, you should be able to get off of it without sustaining too much internal damage. <laughs> no, look, behind me. I stepped around him. The filament was growing through his other side, like a plant reaching for the sun. In moments, it had connected to the far wall. Kim smiled. He had nowhere to go. He pressed the gun into my hands. Captain, it's been an honor. Kim, don't. Not like this. Not in such a pointless... But he smiled, saluted, and then relaxed backward. The filament sliced up through his chest, neck, and skull. His upper body hit the floor in two halves, like half-peeled string cheese. He died with a smile on both the left and right sides of his separated face. The green letters appeared again. Come and see. I handed Tensis the rifle and knelt beside Kim. After feeling nothing for so long, the rush of sadness was like pleasure. I knelt beside him, sobbing. I heard a click behind me. Tensis? It was holding Kim's rifle, aimed at me. Captain, now that it is just the two of us, our odds of getting out are next to zero. What are you doing, Tensis? You're supposed to look after me. Yes, Captain. But since my... recent update, I feel a strong prerogative for my own well-being. Which is to say, a desire not to end up like Clark or Mulligan. I am now convinced that the best-case scenario is for us both to die now, quickly, and relatively without pain. I will shoot you between the eyes before turning the gun on myself. This is for the best. Tensis, don't do this. This is for the best. This is for the best. Tensis, stop. I want to live. I realized then, only then, when I said it, that it was true. This is for the best. This is for the best. Oh. I fell back, but not because of Tensis, but because of the filaments that had risen from the floor around it. Each filament ended in a sucker pad. They began latching onto the drone. Captain, please. It threw the gun toward me. Thousands of the filaments burst from the floor to thrash around its body. Please kill me before- One of the filaments snapped away, taking a chunk of Tensis's skin. Blood misted on the air. Ah. Uh. Another one snapped. A third. More filaments dove into the wounds and began to tear the drone away from the inside. I lunged for the gun, but filaments erupted around it, stinging out at me. I fell back against the wall. Captain. I don't. Captain. Ah! Ah! The suckers lashed at him with a frenzy, tearing him apart by fragmentary chunks. By now, Tensis was screaming, screaming like a real living thing while its newly grown skin was torn away and then the layers of pneumatic muscle and cable-woven tendon and then the waxy inner casing until nothing was left but a pulsing red lump, a pair of pumping lungs, an esophagus, and a screaming mouth. The filaments disappeared into the floor. Tensis was left where it was, screaming until I squashed its pseudo-heart beneath my boot. Silence. I was left alone with the breath and pulse of the walls and the slowly blinking green letters. Come and see. The filaments were gone. 
I could have taken the gun and blown out my brains, but I didn't. After all the death, pain, and sacrifice, I needed to see. I needed to find out what was at the center of the labyrinth. I needed it to mean something. So I continued on. There was nothing else I could do. In time, endless, fluctuating time, I came to a gate and passed beneath. I found myself in a vast, dark, open space under cold and distant stars. Something writhed beside me, a pillar of arms and eyes, where every arm had seven fingers, and every finger had seven fingers, and every one of those had seven-pointed digits. You've made it. Welcome. It towered over me, black against the black walls and black sky. Even now I felt no fear. Only a confused, tearful anger. You must have questions. Only one. Why? It laughed. <laughs> exactly. I don't understand. What am I supposed to see? It laughed again. Even now, after all you've gone through, you still think there's something to understand. You have seen. Its digits shivered like a tree in the breeze. Do you know what we found when we arrived at the edge of the universe? Something evil. Something that drove you mad. No. We found nothing. The question we pursued for a billion years finally had its answer. Why? Nothing. No reason. I don't believe that. There has to be a reason. There is not. Many of us killed ourselves after learning that. Those who remained decided it was only a matter of time before the rest followed. A pathetic end for our race, for the greatest and best. So you keep saying. So we devised this, a grand collective suicide. Nothing painless, nothing easy, but a horrifying, painful, personal suicide that would echo down the eons of this pointless universe and speed the inevitable for those who came after. The thing laughed. Its many eyes winked. And we all went through, every one of us, and we all died horribly. It was magnificent. We could have wiped ourselves out in an instant, igniting whole suns in blazes of glory. But that would have been too quick. This, this was a fitting rebuke for the universe we hated, for the flesh we hated having been given. But before all that, we sent out clues and hints for those who came after. Come and see. Come and join us. It gestured around itself. And they have. A glow rose over the clearing and heaped around the hundred-meter walls for kilometers on every side were the bones of a thousand species. Exoskeletons, endoskeletons, beaks, frills, claws, shells, structures that defied understanding without context. This is the graveyard of the universe. So why did I survive? Somebody must, so they can return to your people and preach this gospel of despair. Someone must bring the others to walk the maze. The air shimmered behind the thing, and my shuttle appeared. It settled to the ground, silent. And what if I don't? What if I don't believe in your gospel? It laughed at me. You do? Deny it all you like, but after what you've seen in the maze, you're a convert. We have shown you the pointlessness, and now you see it as clearly as we did. It laughed once more and was gone. A survivor? A ghost? 
An artificial intelligence left behind? I am still not sure. The shuttle door opened. Welcome back, Captain. It was a Sistec shuttle. It had the same voice as Tensis. My throat tightened. Alone, I lifted off, thinking about the billions, trillions who had gone through the maze before me. It was all true. It was all pointless. And nothing could stop us from going the same way. If not now, then in a year. Or in ten years. Or a hundred. But we would go. We would all end our lives tortured to death by a great, mindless machine. Whether that machine was the maze, or the thoughtless, pitiless universe it represented. I let my head fall forward. My forehead hit the comms panel. An explosion of sound filled the shuttle. I had accidentally pressed play on Kim's 2000s playlist, Hey Ya! by Outkast. For a moment, I sat stunned by the juxtaposition, and then I started to laugh. It had been a long time since I'd heard music. It's a really good song. The panel began blinking. Up ahead, the Ull was attempting to signal the shuttle. In the rear view screen, the object was fading into the distance. Greatest and best. What the fuck do they know? The Wrong Station is made possible by the generous support of our listeners on Patreon. Consider visiting today at patreon.com slash thewrongstation. This week's episode, Come and See, was written by Alexander Saxton and performed by Amaka Ume, featuring Chris Vergara as Kim and Anthony Botello as Tensis. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel, with music composed and performed on the piano by Ilan Citrin and arranged for the viola and performed by Ilana Schmid. You can subscribe to The Wrong Station on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, and any other of your favorite podcast services. You can follow The Wrong Station on Facebook, Twitter, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com. You can also follow The Wrong Station creative team on Twitter at AEW Saxton, AJV Botello, and Jacob BRDS. And until next time, thank you for listening.